It's the two of us. Hey. It's the two of us. That's right. Well, three of us. Hopefully you, four of us, including the Holy Spirit, five, Jesus. So it's a party up in here. Um, welcome back to Anchored and Devoted. I'm Pastor <laughs> Joseph. And DJing on the one and one is uh, Pastor Jer. <laughs> hey. But you're the DJ. Yes, I am. I am DJ. Um, welcome back. We're glad you're paying attention, listening, sharing, all that good stuff. Today, we're looking at a fun topic of does God love everybody? Um, now, hold up. Hold up. For you seasoned what? believers out there, and I know there's seasoned believers listening to us. Don't turn this off yet. All yeah, right? we're going to have fun with this. Mm-hmm. We're going to have fun with this. Does God love everybody? And... um. You know, for the seasoned believers as well as the the new believers, the hope is that uh, I think by the end of this episode, you'll be able to to be challenged, not just check us off like I listened to this episode. Um, (laughs) (laughs) If you're listening to us just to check it off your to-do list, find something else to do. I mean, we like having the listeners, but... (laughs) <laughs> Neither Dave nor I would be like, oh, a podcast I subscribed to once. I guess I better finish it. Yeah, there it is. So welcome again. <laughs> um, you know, does God love everybody? Um, this is akin to the question, why does God allow bad things to happen to everyone? Yeah. Um, this is the other side of that coin. This is the the gentler way of asking that question because if God loves everybody, then why doesn't he treat everyone the same? Or why doesn't he, you know, make sure that there's no hunger or heat waves or war? Like, does God love everybody? So that word love, um, I think is probably where we'll first have to start. Um, uh, you know, when we say god loves you or at least for me i'll speak for myself because we definitely didn't prep for this beforehand um the love is one that we often mistake for just living um there is a general love that god has for all mankind and this is just starting generally um he he's the one who wakes us up every day he's the one Mm -hmm. who you know right um keeps our heart beating when we don't think about it. I mean, he's the one who um, allows for us to live in the places we live, to be born in the places we were born, mm-hmm. to have the families that we have. So there's a, um, just as much as he loves the birds of the fields, um, it, it, it is clear to me that we take for granted his love. Um, and this is not whether you believe in him or not. This is just simply you were born into this world and you've had the opportunity to experience it, no matter how brief, um, that's still love. Um, I know we often bring our expectation to it. And I think that's the, um, the tougher part is this question is one where we feel we can judge God's love. Mm. um true you know, does god love everybody true um you know uh jerry you've got a handful of children and um i'm sure one of them would say they're your favorite and they'd happily wear the t-shirt that says i'm daddy's favorite um they would all say they're loved but 
they might feel a little bit different about the type of love. Like that one's loved more than the others. They pass um, that t-shirt around amongst them. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. You probably have thing one and thing two shirts on all of them running around like Dr. Seuss Pretty Bears. Much. So, <laughs> but it is, um, it is quite natural to, um, to want to, um, to be able to think we know better um, when it comes to how best to love somebody. For sure. Um, uh, I've got a, um, I mentioned this on a different episode. I, I just spoke to a, a gentleman this week whose uh, brother was a pastor for 40 years, uh, diligent, biblical, Bible-based pastor, humble brother. Um, he just passed last week. And I'm speaking to the brother specifically. I already spoken to the wife. Um, and he's still wrestling with how God the last 10 years could have him suffer in his body um, with a um, disease that took away his voice, took away mm -hmm. his ability to move. Mm -hmm. um, and so he's wrestling right now as he's grieving with, you know, does God love everybody? Like. Mm -hmm. Um, he knows that his brother's in heaven. Um, and so he knows that. And at the same point, he's still, I want to say disappointed, um, you know, discouraged. Um, uh, he loves and he still has his faith in Christ. So there's no doubting that, again, where his brother is, but he, he wants to understand. And I think that's the tough part when we talk about love. Again. Sure. Is, is that we want to understand? Okay, I'll, I'll stop talking. What do you want to uh, say? Well, I'm, number one, I'm grateful that you brought it to a real point. Um, and, and by that, I mean, from the, the theoretical to the ministerial with that story, because I could get directly into a, the theological and the biblical um, discussion. But what you're talking about is the lived experience whether it's the brother you're talking about or the atheist who is, you know, dead set hardened against there being a God of the Bible because the God of the Bible describes himself as love. And what I see does not look like love because how could a God who allows all of the suffering call himself love? He's either a liar or he's a sadist or he's, or he's a figment of someone else's imagination. In the case, I don't want anything to do with him. Those are both very real positions and ones that ought to be taken with the sincerity that they are offered and cared for with, um, with compassion. You know, you said that, that brother's not doubting God, but in a sense, he is. He may not be doubting God's existence, but he's doubting God's love. How how is this loving? How can you go on record and right. claim to be loving when the evidence is this is what you've allowed? And I don't, you know, I don't ever want to look at that and say, well, here's the answer. Because one, that does not do what is necessary. I agree. And two. I, yeah, I didn't quote the scripture at him. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> like two. Um, the question of why do good 
that why does a good God allow bad things to happen? That question, every serious philosopher and every serious theologian has wrestled with that question. And it doesn't have a simple A to B to C answer that puts it to rest. Well, also the answer doesn't make you feel better to know that because of sin and because of free will, you know, bad things happen and God allows them so that there's sin and free will. Um, It's it's not comforting to be able to say, okay, um, you know, this child passed away after only living for three weeks. And again, that goes to the the sin in the world and the inability of man, because we think we can do everything um, to save him. But it also challenges the thought, do we know better? Because this child is now in the presence of God. So what could be better? I, so for me, here's where I start. The question, does God love everyone? Mm-hmm. Okay. Has a very simple biblical answer. The answer is yes, he does. Mm-hmm. And I say that because when I look at scripture, God says in his scripture that he loves everyone. And he says it in multiple ways in multiple places. So I can look at that and I can say, okay, God says he loves everyone. And if there is a God, and if he did communicate, then, and if he is not a liar, then it only follows that what he said is true and that he does love everyone. Okay. But that, that leads me to the next question, which is, what does that mean? What does it mean that God loves everybody? And that's where I have to sort of pump the brakes mm-hmm. and take a much more humble posture. And I think a humble posture is necessary whether or not you're opposed to belief in God. The problem is that we we often believe that we have a better understanding than we can actually have. Mm-hmm. We believe we have sufficient data to stand securely on whatever position we've chosen. And as a result, we exclude data that negates the position. And, and that becomes something that we propagate in our own hubris. So for me, as a person who believes in God, it's easy for me to recognize that the atheist who is opposed to belief in God, who says the evidence here is that a loving, all-powerful God would have to be a liar to allow all these bad things to happen. The easy thing for me to see is that that atheist is operating from a place of hubris because the basic argument that he's making or she's making is if God having all power and all knowledge allowed this, then he's allowed a bad thing. Because if I had all knowledge and all power, I would have stopped this. And that's where the hubris demonstrates itself. Wait a second. You're saying from a limited position of knowledge that if you had all the other knowledge, your decision would be the same as it is right now. That, that's ridiculous on the face of it. That's where we see the hubris. But on the other side, I can look at all those scriptures that I've made reference to where God says, you know, the classic at John 3.16, which I won't even quote because of how classic it is. Right. But then we can also look at throughout other places in John where he says, this is how we know that God has loved us. Mm-hmm. He's demonstrated his love for us. We know love because God first loved us. Or we can go to the Old Testament and say, we can look at, at the places where God says, he's not willing that any should perish. He takes no delight in the death of the 
wicked, but he wants all to come to see him and to know him because ultimately what he's after, what his desire is, is relationship with each of us. But I can then ignore the implications here when I go both to the Old Testament and then to Romans 11, where God says, Jacob I've loved and Esau I've hated. And I can, I can separate that out and say, well, that's just a theological something, something, something. And stand in a, a place of hubris to say, well, clearly the, the testimony is God loves everybody. That thing with Esau was, and I'll bracket that off, and that really shouldn't affect the way that you understand my response to the question, does God love everybody? Well, I have to take a step back and say, God has said he loves everybody, but God has also defined what he means when he says love. And what we say when we mean love may or may not line up with what he means when he says love. When we say love, oftentimes what we mean is don't let bad things happen. Yes. Comfort. Protect. Yep. Keep it the same. <laughs> right. that's, that, that's, that's not what God means when he says love. I mean, even when, it, when we look at the Old Testament and Deuteronomy and other places, we see that he challenged Israel to care for the poor and to care for others. He wants to work through people to show his love based off of the love he has shown us. And yet we often again, don't want to change because that requires change of us. Like we want mm -hmm. to be loved, but not to love others. We want the love that we feel to be the mm -hmm. same as we have felt in the past. So don't change that. Don't grow me. Don't push me into better, which is love. Don't correct me, which is love. According to God's definition, I love yes. those that correct, right? Those yep. who obey me, love me. So it's actually the opposite. He says, he says, I correct those whom I love. Correct. As I said, I correct yeah. those whom I love. Um, and so those who aren't corrected should be concerned mm -hmm. um, because there is a question of where is the love? Um, we often define love based off of, again, as you stated, our comfort. Um, and so therefore, it's uncomfortable when someone is going through something tough and we often don't see it as an opportunity for God to be glorified. Um, in I was doing my devotion this morning, so I'm not super, super saint, but I was reading um, and uh, in I want y'all to listen and pay attention to the fact that Brother Dave just lost the reward for that. <laughs> Devotion this morning because he put it out here. I just wanted to make sure everyone knew. Like, it's not super safe. I actually did a devotion this morning. Um, it was in John, I want to say it was in John chapter 10, where, um, or somewhere about there, where um, this individual ha is blind and was blind from birth. And yeah. people asked, you know, who sinned? Um, yeah, who sinned? Is him or his parents? Right. And um, Jesus puts them out on his eyes, you know, told him to go and uh, have his eyes cleaned in the pool that means sin. Right. Um, and he did, and he could see. And then he went and told everybody. And um, when he came back, Jesus asked him, you know, are you ready to follow um, the one true 
savior? And he, he says, says, who is he? Exactly. And he <laughs> says, I am, I am. He says, then he bowed down and worship. Yeah. Um, I, I love that section because there's tons of change being challenged. The Pharisees mm -hmm. don't want them serving on a Sunday or doing anything to bless anyone. Um, they're upset about, it, even though this is God moving and it's a complete miracle. The parents are brought before the Pharisees and they ask, is this your son? And was he blind from birth? And they, the parents are fearful and like, hey, he's a grown man. You could talk to him. Um, please, the, please don't kick us out. Please don't kick the, us out. Exactly. The, the grown man is like, pretty much, there's nothing you can take from me. I can see. Um, there's nothing you gave me. I can see. Um, right? Like, he like, looks at them. He's like, this, is, this isn't a riddle. But, I, I was blind. Now I can see. You tell me what you think happened. Not only that, but why should I fear you when this this dude, he's changed my life for real. Y'all walk past me every day. <laughs> right? You give me nothing. He has given me my right. sight. Yep. Even if you brought me bread, he has brought me life. I and can Jesus, as he's answering the, the, the people saying who who sinned, Correct. parents and, or this kid, Jesus' response is, come uh, on. yeah, check your presupposition. There it is. I was, this is my issue with love. And what mm -hmm. does he say to them? He says, neither. Neither. <laughs> he said, but this this was done so that the power of God might be displayed. There it is. And I was humbled by that this morning. I was just like, yeah. oh, come on. Like, so rich, man. When so we rich. talk about love, we have to understand that it's, it comes from God and it should glorify God. Um, and so when we see God loving this person who was blind, the easy thing is to, is to be very flat minded or you know upset that even he was blind from birth and mm -hmm. this is just to glorify god because you put just in front of it it makes it smaller when the reality is no that's our whole purpose in life is to glorify god and so him um being blind was not uh, the worst part of his life um which is how we would view it um that that's so key right there because you're 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 making us face the question: What is the worst possibility? Is the worst possibility that I could come into the world and only live for three weeks, or be a parent of a child who comes into the world and only lives for two or three days, or to watch my spouse go through five years slowly dying inside from ALS or something worse? Mm -hmm. Is that the worst that can happen? And very gently, my answer is, no, it's not. God knows that there's something far, far worse than that. That after going through all of that, you would then, because you rejected the God who made you and loves you, be separated from him for eternity. That's the worst that can happen. And when God says, I love everybody, his definition there of love is, I've made it possible so that that worst thing doesn't have to happen. And I gave myself, contrary to what Ayn Rand would say about altruism and self-sacrifice being the biggest evil, she was wrong. <laughs> It's just why I enjoy reading her, but uh, I take her with a big grain of salt. 
the self-sacrifice that God demonstrates when he gives his own son, the self-sacrifice that Jesus demonstrates when he gives up his life is the loudest and the boldest and the clearest statement. Yes, God loves us because in giving that sacrifice, they made it possible so that the worst thing could be stopped. The, the, one of the questions that I have to ask as we think about this is when we think about love, we started to touch on this earlier and I wanted to circle us back to it. Loving someone, does that mean stopping bad things from happening? Or does it mean something different? And you started to talk about growth. You started to talk about the love of a parent. And, and I, I think about that as a pattern for life, right? If I, I've got a parent, I've got, I've got a parent, I've got two parents, and I've got four kids. Mm-hmm. And my kids age and range from about six to 11, which means at one point they aged, their, you know, their ages were like one to six. I don't treat my 11-year-old the way I treat my six-year-old. I let my 11-year-old my take significantly bigger risks. I protect my six-year-old in ways that I don't protect my 11-year-old. I, I don't allow particular risks to come near my six-year-old. But the purpose in both of, in the way that I treat both of them, is not because I don't care if one of them gets hurt more than I care if the other one does, or because I want one to get hurt. It's because if I continue treating my 11-year-old as if he's a six-year-old or worse, a two-year-old, he's going to grow up and either not be able to take care of himself or hate me for having put him into a prison. Because ultimately, that's what I'm going to have to do. By the time he's 25 and I'm still trying to change his diaper and burp him and give him milk and make sure that he doesn't put his hands in the socket and teach him how to speak and all the other things to make sure, you know, the way that we protect our two-year-olds, he's going to hate me because that would make a prison and I would not be able to have a loving relationship with him. To, To put it another way, you as the father of a three-month-old little girl, you don't share a relationship with your daughter. Eh, it's too strong, actually. You do, but it's, it's limited to the amount of relationship she's able to share back, which at this point you know, is on the level of coos and cuddles and accepting what it is you give her. But you can contrast that with your older child with whom you can share conversation, you can share dreams, you can share experiences, you can talk about those things, you can imagine together what could be, you can go through that experience, you can, you can describe what you are each experiencing in that, and then you can imagine more about the next time you have the opportunity for an experience like this. You can talk about what your desires are. You can share not just experiences, but hope and dreams. And that's where real relationship is found. It's in the shared 
the shared weight of what it is we want for each other in the future. That's why I said you can't have that with a three-month-old because a three-month-old simply doesn't have that. And so we love a three-month-old differently than we love a seven or an 11-year-old. We demonstrate it differently because the relationship is actually possible once they get to a certain level of maturity. Oh, no, I agree. I, I fully agree that the love, I mean, this is seen in marriage. The love gets better with time. It's better with age. Um, you know, you love your bride more and more each day. They grow you in love um, as well by you know trying you and encouraging you to grow um, to get you to stretch that love muscle mm-hmm. uh, so that you can love more deeply. Um, as you stated, the same is true with kids as they graduate and go off to college. You love them even more as they're away, not because. Um, uh, of the distance, but more because of the time that's been invested in them and the closeness of relationship, the closeness to your heart. And I'd say that the same is true, as you stated, when it comes to regular individuals with God. The closer we get to Him, um, the easier it is for Him to correct us and for us to experience that correction and to recognize it. And the hope is that our hearts are soft to Him. So we feel the love more. <clears throat> Right, Just as we understand when we pray and we're praying in God's will, he's happy to answer. We feel that love more because we're, we're, we're close to him, like we're with dad. Yeah. When we're estranged or far away and things seem wrong because we haven't been obeying, we've been, you know, uh, living in a selfish fashion, um, you know, it's seeking to run from your spouse as opposed to lean into your spouse knowing that this is the sacrifice that christ has done for us that we are to to sacrificially love our spouse when we do that as opposed to pushing away in selfishness um again we're trusting god we're um and therefore we experience more of his love um it's you know, as we stated, generally God loves everybody. That's easy. But the the depth of love that you experience is um, a much more substantial. Yes. Uh, the closer your relationship you are with him, the, the more you're seeking to live a righteous life, a holy life, a life uh, uh, filled with glorifying him. Um, I yeah. think there are two purposes that God has for us. Mm-hmm. In, in the way that he demonstrates his love towards us, the one I've already said, his purpose is that we would be able to have eternal relationship with him. But the second is that we would be who we were made to be, which is not, which is separate from, which is distinct from being imprisoned within something. This is the difference between a a potted tree and a tree that is then transplanted into the ground where its root system and its branches can grow wherever they will. Cause that's what a tree was meant to do. A tree was not meant to be kept in a little ceramic pot or in a large Mason pot. If it stays there, it can't become what it was meant to become. And God loves us 
with the purpose that we will become who he's made us to be. And he's going to be with us in that process. It's the, it's the double thing there, which means he's not going to protect us from things that may hurt us. And that doesn't mean he doesn't love us. He's going to let us make our own decisions, which may hurt us, but that doesn't mean he doesn't love us. It means there are two separate things that are going on here. He's allowing us to grow. He's allowing us to be ourselves so that as ourselves, we can then have relationship with him forever. Amen. I think it's clear we have to be present with him. You know, the, the, the really satisfying thing is that even when we're not, he is still, he still pursues us. He does. He loves us. <laughs> Just being, you know, being real here for a minute. Like most men um, who are married, occasionally I have a legitimate reason to be upset with my wife. On the rare occasion. What? On the rare occasion. And occasionally in those times, it's the exception that I, that I handle it well. The majority of times I will be angry with my spouse. I will reject my spouse, push her away. I will withdraw into myself. I will stop pursuing her. And when I do that, the thing that brings me back is the both the knowledge and the historic experience that I've had that God doesn't ever do that with us. Even when I'm running as fast as I can from him, he still pursues me. Uh, I love the passage. I believe it's in Hosea. It might be Habakkuk where it says that God draws us with cords of love and it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, not his stalwartness, not his hardness, not his sternness that lets us run into the problems and says, see, I told you, you should have come and done it my way. This is, this is why I'm opposed to a Mother Jones kind of government. Mother Jones works really well when she has babies. When Mother Jones has children, especially adult children, she's got to let go of the reins. Otherwise, children are going to be infantilized. I see God the same way, just at a much bigger, more cosmic scale. If I don't want the government coming in and saying, oh, here's what you need to eat, and here's what you need to not eat, and here's when you need to go to bed, and here's where you need to get up. By the way, here's what you can do with your free time. Here's where you need to work. I decided all this is going to be good for you. Just trust me because I'm the smartest. I've got it figured out. And you can trust that I have your good as my intent. So just, just do it my way and you'll be happy. Trust me, even if you're not happy now, give it time and you'll get there. I see that in government. I say, eh, I don't think so. Eh. I'm going to go ahead and pass on that. Is, is there an option B? It's even more so when it's God. God doesn't, if he were to do that, all he'd be looking for, number one, he could have. He could have made us automatons. Don't do this. Don't do that. Yes, God, I will do that. I will not do that. Yes, God, I will love you. Yes, God, I will love you with all my whole heart. Yes, God, I will follow you. But he doesn't do that. He says, follow me. 
Come with me and I'll show you great and amazing things. Come with me and I will give you living water. Come with me and I will satiate the desires of your heart. But we must come freely. And he loves us to the extent that he will give us that choice, leave that door open, and then pursue us with kindness, regardless of how hard we have hardened ourselves against him. He will still pursue us with his kindness. And I say that because the, the more, the older I get, the more atheists I, I listen to. And as I listen okay. to uh, atheists, I, I feel the heart of compassion that God has. And there was a time in my life where, you know, if I was going to come into contact with atheists, it was going to be in a militant way. God, atheists, ah. Combat, blah, blah, blah. And I, just, I don't see that in God's heart. I, I see God's heart as being one of compassion towards a Richard Dawkins or a Hitchens. As they say now, you're, you're a horrible, horrible person. And it would be better if you never existed because of how bad this is. I believe that God's heart towards them is to say, I totally understand that you feel that way. I still love you. Come with me and I'll show you how good it can be. And if you choose not to, my heart will break, but I love you enough that you may make that choice for yourself. It means we live in a world that is full of pain and brokenness and sorrow and regret and worse than that when we open our eyes after this life it's going to be to eternal joy or eternal torment and the love that god has demonstrated to us is that he laid down his own life or we who were his enemies so that we could be made his sons. That's what love is. So yeah, I can say God loves everybody because that's what he did. Amen. Well, this is another episode of Anchored and Devoted. I mean, two crazies in a box. Thanks for listening. Um, take a moment to really think about God's love. And are you living it out? Are you sharing it with others? And then do you believe it yourself? Do you fully embrace the fact that he loves you as well as your family and friends? And do they know it? And can they see the difference in you because you've taken the time to experience his love? If you need to, take a few moments today. You mentioned a lot of Bible verses. Take some time to reflect on who God is in your life. Are you being still with him? Because he is with you. Are there things that you need to let go, recognize you need to repent of, to go deeper in relationship with him? We love you. We're your two other brothers of the same Heavenly Father. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. See ya.